Welcome to the Renew Life Church Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Good morning. This is already so good. Let's give our worship team a round of applause. They just do. Man. Did that last week, but man, I what I love about well, so many things I love about our church, but I, I told some a while back, I said, the thing I love about our church is I just never know what's going to hit me. We've got amazing worship. We've got amazing volunteers. So sometimes you go out in the parking lot and you just see an amazing volunteer just crushing it, or you'll get a ministry time, or, I mean, the messages are usually pretty good, I'm not going to lie. Um, just kidding, but I just I just love that we have so many things in our church, so many people in our church that are just so after hearing God and just making every single Sunday special for every single person here. I think that's my favorite thing about a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge that if I if I'm being really honest, my I'm usually overwhelmed not by the word, but that the Lord saw fit to call someone out and single them out just to say, "Hey, I'm thinking about you today." I know it's easy to say God loves all of us. Sometimes it's hard for us to say, I know God loves me. And I think when he calls somebody out, sometimes it's just like, hey, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you today. So I just absolutely love that. So anyway, can we welcome all of our first-time guests? If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. We'll jump right into it. Before we get started, a little testimony. I'm getting better at remembering to do this. This testimony, uh, Cody sent me this one uh, this last week. A uh, guy sent him this, <clears throat> says, up until five weeks ago, I had spent the last 17 years in and out of jail, prison, and rehabs. Although I've known I had a call of God on my life for a long time, I ran and hid from it in a very self-destructive, in every self-destructive way imaginable. Five weeks ago, my mom invited me to church. I was so sick of being hopelessly addicted to crystal meth. So to appease my mom, and in hopes that perhaps there was a way out, I came. During worship, I could feel something inside of me change and a voice telling me that I would be done smoking meth. I couldn't stop weeping due to the overwhelming feeling of love. After the music, someone came out and pointed right at me and told me that my ministry was about to begin and it was confirming that what God was already telling me through vast amounts of coincidence. Anyways, I did what I always do. I left, I ran from that call, and I went straight to my, my drug dealer. But this time it was different. All I could think about or hear in my head was the praise team singing about the power of Jesus that was in me. That was the last time I used. The next week, the same thing happened, except it was with cigarettes. God told me that he, was, he wanted to cleanse me. And this is my favorite part. He said, during that song, never stop working, all I could hear was better stop smoking. <laughs> Turn to your neighbors. That's a word for you, too. Better stop smoking. Whatever it is, just Stop. Just kidding. He said, I've been cigarette-free for two weeks now. I was jobless, hopeless. Now I have a job. I'm going back to school. Relationships are being restored. The blessings of heaven are raining down on me. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, we're going to jump right into it. I, 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 I thought I was the only pastor dumb enough to start a series at the end of 2019 and continued in 2020, but I have now another friend of mine who did the same thing. So we're actually continuing something we started uh, in, in January, the last Sunday that we had in January, something I, I believe to be a very prophetic word for us as a church and something that we need to pay very close attention to. Then it's no coincidence that it's the, uh, the message to start, end our year and start our year and I want to kind of get everyone caught up just a little bit on some of the things that we've already talked about. The title of our series has been Prophecy 
and the supernatural. And if, if I'm being honest, the first couple of weeks, I felt like I had to spend some time laying the foundation that as Christians, as Jesus followers, not, not just as pastors or as leaders, but just regular old Christians, regular old Jesus followers, we all have to get used to living supernatural lifestyles, supernatural lifestyles. There's probably more to your Christian life than you know. And Jesus was speaking to the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. It says, he called his disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Skip down to verse 5. Then the 12 was sent out with the following instructions. So Jesus sent those 12 with these instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any town or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Then just to make sure that this instruction could not be perceived as one that just was for the 12, that maybe this was some apostolic age, as some would call it, that these certain things were only for certain people. He goes on in Matthew 28 and says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is what is commonly known as the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them. Who's the them? All nations. Say, all nations. Say, that means me. <laughs> Say, that means me. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So he gives these disciples this command of a supernatural lifestyle. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons, all things you could not do on your own power, only if Jesus or someone with the power to do those things gave you that, which is exactly what he did. He said he gave the disciples the authority to do that, and then he said, now you go and you translate that. Hey, tell everyone, you have the same instructions, you have the same authority. I think we've whittled down the great commission to getting people to heaven. Other translations of the Great Commission, that's why it's important that you read this throughout, throughout the Gospels to see the entirety of the heart of, of God behind this. It's not just to, as one translation says, or one of the Gospels says, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Matthew, the first reference, says, go and make disciples of all the nations and teach them to do all the things that I've told you to do. In other words, we have an assignment as believers as, on the, as the Great Commission Part of the Great Commission is not just to get people to heaven, it's to actually bring heaven to people. And I'll be honest with you, when you read stuff like this, that that is my job, that is my assignment, that is the Great Commission, it can feel weighty. It's like, okay, so I got to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. Got it. Not. Most of us would say, many if not all of those things, we've never done. We've never done those things. But can I just say this? Things like this and reading it this way, it's an invitation into more than you've ever experienced before. It's God saying, your experiences do not define my purpose for your life. That which you've experienced thus far is not all there is to, not all there is to me. There's so so much more. I remember years ago in, in going after some of this stuff, uh, I kind of got this thing. I'm like, oh, I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to do this. And if I'm just being really honest, it was kind of like a, a little cocky thing. Like, 
I got this. We're going to do this someday. I was, some of you heard this story. I, I was driving in South Texas, deep South Texas one day, and uh, as I was driving one way on this little two-lane road, there was a, a, a convoy of uh, oilfield cement trucks coming. And the back truck, the very last truck, blew a tire. And when it blew a tire, the guy lost control. The cement truck went down into the bar ditch, went, came up off the ground. And when he came up off the ground, the truck began to roll off onto two wheels. At that time, I lost sight. And all I could see was a cloud of smoke and dirt as it, the accelerator had gotten stuck. And he plows through this uh, mesquite field. Of course, the mesquites were a lot larger than the ones around here. It was a mesquite and cactus field. And all I, I couldn't even see the truck anymore as I just saw it plowing through. And I just would see smoke and dirt. And I immediately pulled over. A bunch of his friends saw it in the rearview mirror. We all turned around, pulled over, and we're all running out there to see what we think is probably going to be a pretty ugly scene because you could see out there several hundred yards, the truck was upside down. Uh, the cab was crashed in, uh, caved in, and the accelerator was stuck, and you could just hear the engine running at full RPMs. And so we're all running to get to the guy or to see what had happened. And when he, he cleared out some, some pear flats and that cactus, when you smash, it gets real slick. So we're falling in cactus, and we're all just doing everything we can to get to this guy as soon as possible. And right about the time we get there, the guy crawls out of the cab, and he has barely a little cut on his elbow. He's 100% fine. And it was just a, an absolute miracle. And so we all check on him, and we just all could not believe what we were watching. And we walk back to our truck, and I get back, and I'm, I'm by myself, and I get back in my truck, and you're, I'm just kind of reeling as to what I had just seen. And very clearly, I heard the Lord say, were you ready? And I was like, no, nope, nope, no, um, we need to talk about this a little more before we try this again. I was not ready. Last, last year, that was about six years ago, five, six years ago, last year, I, I remember that feeling of I knew I wasn't ready. I, I just knew I wasn't ready. I knew I didn't have, my mind did not immediately go to, when I saw that, I, my mind did not go to, I have a job to do. Last, last year, uh, over spring break, my wife and I went to, went, took the girl skiing and her uncle, my uncle, we were taking the girls, we had taken the girls on a little snowmobile thing, and Leanna stayed home, she was pregnant, and um, when we, when we were coming down the mountain, we were the second on the scene of a very terrible accident, and uh, as we pulled around a car, we didn't see much, but as we pulled around a car, there was a body laying motionless in the ground, on the asphalt, and there was a woman and her two boys, and the person that had beat us there, restraining them as they were screaming, and it was just a terrible, terrible scene. So we pulled over, we got the woman, the boys away from the scene, we got the wife. Someone took the wife, and so then I started back towards the body to see what it wasn't one of the, it was one of those things where you knew what was going on. This was not like let's see what we need to do to help him. He was he was not there, and or at least we thought. And I, I remember walking up to the body, but I remember looking at this situation. I was like, okay. We have to raise him from the dead. I've got to raise him from the dead. And as I walked over to him, I saw the, the guy, he took his last breath. He just, and then laid motionless. And, that, and he wasn't, it didn't look like he was breathing before. And I, I can't, I don't have a theological answer for this, but it, it was as if I saw his spirit leave him. And as some, some other guys showed up on the scene and we began to do a CPR, and of course I, I didn't have gloves or anything, so I had to do some things to help him in any way I could without touching him because we didn't want to touch him, and they only had a couple sets of gloves, and so I assisted with CPR until the um, ambulance got there. By law, they had to, to do that, and he never came back. 
Uh, some people around the scene took pictures, and it was a crazy thing because some, some lady from Facebook even reached out and said, we heard your husband. We saw your husband there. He was there on the scene, and I guess I wasn't praying as quiet as I could because the whole time they were doing CPR for 20 minutes, I was praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, and commanding life back into his body. <clears throat> he didn't come back to life, and so my experience is still not I have raised the dead, but my instructions have still not changed. And I don't know the answer for why it didn't happen that time. And I can, but I, I will say this, you don't need a, a degree in theology or have gone to Bible school or be some super smart theologian to come to that scene and see the mom and the two boys and recognize that this isn't God. This is not God. So the arrogance and the religious spirit that wants to say, well, no, it's all in God's control. God does what he wants when he wants not always. Because <laughs> if God did what he wanted all the time, we'd all just go to heaven. That's what he wants more than anything. Yet we preach in every single church in America that if you want to go to heaven, you have to choose. So where does the line stop and who gave you that authority? There are choices that we make. There are, there's a battle being fought. And as long as there are things like that where the enemy seems to have temporarily won, the assignment remains for Christians who are stupid enough or courageous enough to actually do what the Bible says. It says, you know what? I haven't raised one yet, but the instructions haven't changed. The commandment hasn't changed. As much as I know that it was not God what had happened, I know there will come a day when our faith is strong and we start to see things and those that have gone before us, you've heard me tell the story about the little two-year-old girl that we prayed for for her to be raised from the dead. Someday that will become the norm and it will also become the norm that people start getting up. I can promise you that those who said, I will never believe you're Jesus, they'll come asking some questions. Say, you know, I, I didn't believe the Bible. I don't even like your church, but that I cannot deny. The scripture is very clear. Signs, Wonders and miracles are for the hard-headest non-believers. And I, I, I'm talking around this subject because all of us, every single one of us in this room, we have to embrace the fact that we have been called to something that we've never even seen. Some of what we've been called to, we can only read in Scripture and say, you know, I haven't seen that yet. And I actually don't even know where to start. But it doesn't change the narrative. It doesn't change the instruction. And until I see it, I keep moving forward. I keep going after it. we got to get more used to this supernatural lifestyle. I read last week that I felt like the Lord, and I shared this with both services, I felt like the Lord had said that this was a year that prophecy was going to be key for our church. He even gave me a scripture in Second Chronicles 20, 20. It says, so they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants, of, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. felt very strongly that the Lord directed to me this back in early December, that this was an, a mandate for our church. Believe the prophets, so shall you prosper. Believe the prophets, so shall you prosper. Some of you in here, you're not familiar with a, what I would call a prophetic lifestyle. You don't, you don't know a prophet. If I said, could you introduce me a prophet friend of yours? You'd be like, yeah, what's that? So the, I, I'm not, I'm, 
I'm under the, I know that not everyone has some of the same understanding that I have, but can I just tell you, I didn't always, not very long ago, I didn't have a lot of understanding in this area of, as well. What I did have is a solid belief that the word is the final answer for everything in my life. I had parents, if we were talking about this just last night at dinner, a couple nights at dinner, we've done dinner the last couple nights, and uh, we were at their house, and we were just talking about how there are certain things in our lives that we have seen accelerated progress in. In fact, some other churches have come to us and said, you're seeing things happen in your church that we're not. We're all believing the same thing, praying the same things, and in a lot of ways doing even the same things. What is the difference, and how did some of this seem to be accelerated in your church, even in your personal life? And, and all I can go back to is from a young age, even though we may, prophecy was not talked about as normal as it is in my house now, what was talked about is the finality of the word, that this is the word of God. There's, we can't change the narrative. We can't change the subject. It's about this, and it's about him. And so because of that, all someone had to do was show me in the word, and I was like, okay, I'm in. I believe. I believe in this word. And, it, of course, now it's to, it's to the point where in my own household it's, it's become normal. We were, me and Leanne were having a conversation about this last night. I just wanted her to share her story and say, help me try to remember when a prophetic lifestyle really kind of came into our life because we don't really remember much about it early on. It was more about the word and, and, and different things. But, and, and as we were talking about this, we were made aware of the fact that even our kids, something about it in our home is more normal than I, than I realized. Our oldest daughter, she... Um, a bunch of her friends, she'd been invited a bunch of her friends to, to youth group, and uh, this is funny. She's been invited a bunch of her friends from other churches, and so all of her friends said, well, hey, we've come to your church. Now you need to come to our church. And so she came to us. She said, hey, uh, a couple of my friends want me to go to one of their youth services. Can I go? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I want you to see, I want you to see what's out there. And she, got, she goes to the church, and after the service, she went up and told the youth pastor, hey, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge for you, and began to prophesy over their youth pastor. And she came home, and I was like, hey, how was it? She goes, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was good. And I was like, well, what happened? And she's like, ah, the Lord just gave me a word for the youth pastor. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's just two things, Lee and I learned from this. One, it's become normal in our home that God is speaking. The other thing, and I, I, wanna, I, did, I wish I would have pointed this out in the first service. The other thing that we recognized is, we have created an environment, at least in our home to a certain degree, where my daughters realize that we all have that assignment, not just the man of God. So that she did not feel weird. Now, we, we're working through some tact on how we handle all these situations. But she did not feel like it was weird for someone sitting out there to have a word for somebody up here. Because this assignment isn't to a select few. This assignment is to all. We all have this assignment. Jesus gave the assignment to all the disciples. And then he said, go tell everything I've told all y'all to all them. So whether we're comfortable with it or not, we, we're being called into some things. And I want to read this, this scripture in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 11, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, capital S. What is this capital S spirit that we're talking about? Jesus, when he left, he told his disciples, it's really good that I leave because when I go, the, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. He is basically the spirit of me. 
So instead of just you 12 getting to look me face to face, all of creation will have me in them. So he's poured out all of himself into this. So there are the same, the diversity of gifts, the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. No, it's the same Lord, Jesus. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one. It's given to each one. You need to understand this. You are an each one. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are an each one. For the profit of all, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, going and so on and so forth. I want you to skip down to chapter 14, verse 1. It says, pursue love, same text, same context here, same message to the same church. He says, pursue love, but desire spiritual gifts. In other words, all those things that I just mentioned in chapter 12, you need to have a hunger for that. You need to desire that, but especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. I'm fully aware of, you can't, you can almost, unless you're a pregnant woman, you can't have a craving for something you've never eaten before. Now, when you're pregnant, the gloves are off. It's like, I want some chocolate-covered cucumbers. What? No one's ever eaten that before. Like, literally, no one's ever eaten that before. Desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification or strengthening and exhortation or encouragement and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Do you understand that God commanded us to desire prophecy, to go after prophecy, to prophesy as a means of taking care of his own church? I want them strong, and I want them full of courage. Therefore, I'm going to introduce prophecy. And what is prophecy? Simple definition of prophecy, the foretelling of future events pertaining especially to the kingdom of God and to speak under inspiration. Can I just tell you this? It's going to always be encouraging. It's going to always be strengthening when the, when the prophetic voice of the Lord comes to you and reminds you we win. <laughs> we win. We win. We have the vic- That is always going to be encouraging. The pl- he has plans for you to prosper. He has plans for you to get somewhere. He has plans for you to increase. He has plans for you to be made whole. He has plans for your family to be restored. He has amazing plans for you. And every now and then when you stop believing in the plans that he has for you, he inserts prophetic voice. He inserts prophetic language and has someone remind you that you win. <laughs> that your family will be restored, that your body will be healed, that things that you thought could not happen, they will happen. That's what prophecy does. It takes care of the church. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm almost out of time. I want to read a story. This is a long read. I'm going to be honest with you. This is like a preaching no-no to read 41 verses, but you need to understand this story because in this story, I think we're going to learn. Because some of you are like, I don't, I don't even know where to start as it pertains to prophecy. I don't know where it even starts to, as, as it pertains to prophets in my life. I don't know any prophets. I don't know how to prophesy. This is all very new, all very new to me. So I want to give you some Three things through a story where you'll see someone who would have been just in your same, maybe not in your same place. He wasn't even a believer in God, wasn't a follower of God. And I want to show you how he began to interact with the prophetic and even prospered 
because of the prophetic in his life. Key point, if in, if in this year, if God is speaking, prophetically speaking to us, believe the prophet, so shall you prosper. We have to develop a supernatural relationship with the supernatural and the prophetic. Amen? Let me read you this story. Some of you have heard this. This is the story where Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. It says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, things you should never say to your wife. It's like she won't hear the fine-looking part, I promise. And they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up in one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke. Indeed, it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry and his servants, with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of our own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us to each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office and he hanged him. So he's telling Pharaoh, hey, there's this guy. He's interpreted dreams before. And all of the dreams that he interpreted were about the future. And I know this because they came true. He told me I was going to live. I'm here. Sorry about the baker or whatever, whichever one he was. He didn't make it. He told him you're going to get hanged, and he did. So clearly this guy knows how to interpret dreams. He can see into the future. Then Pharaoh sent, pay attention to this, Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. And there's no one who can interpret it, but I have heard said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat, the fat cows. When they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as in the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there's no one who could explain this to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what's he, what he's about to do. So he's letting him know this is prophetic. This is about the future. The seven cows, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. 
God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete the land. So he gives them, here's what the next 14 years look like. How many of you guys believe if you had an accurate interpretation of what the next 14 years of your life look like? One, there might be more peace and one, you might have some strategies. Of, okay, if this is what it's going to look like, I might need to change some things. Let's see, where am I at? Verse 31, so the plenty will not be able to, am I in 31? 31, so the plenty will not be known in the land because the famine following for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh, this is my favorite part. He's like, all right, well, if I were you, Pharaoh selected discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. Let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in Pharaoh's eyes and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a man as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Now, how in the world would Pharaoh, who doesn't know anything, doesn't even believe in God, he said, hey, can, we, can you help me find someone? And this, this very well could have been sarcastic. Because you've got to remember, he turns to his servants and magicians who could not interpret his dream. And he turns to them and says, like, anybody know where maybe we could find someone who could actually help Someone in whom is the Spirit of God. It's interesting that he just knew immediately, this is God. This is God. I think sometimes we're, we're afraid to move into things like prophecy because we think we're going to freak out non-believers. What if we're right? What if we have wisdom from God and that's the very thing they've been looking for and when we give that wisdom, when we give that prophetic word, they go, yeah, that's God. I don't know about church, and I don't know about a lot of other stuff, but that is God. love that. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. In a simple form, we see someone activating the prophetic gift in his life, one, to prophesy over the butler and the baker in the, in the prison cell. So he, he didn't need the perfect environment to activate this gift, to flow in this gift. And the reputation of being someone who was accurate in prophetic ministry earned him an opportunity with the king that got him out of the prison and put him in to one of the, the only second to Pharaoh, one of the most prestigious places of influence in all of a country that didn't even believe in his God. All because of what? Prophecy. Now I want to show you three things real quick. This really won't take me very long. Three things that will help you enjoy the prosperity of the prophetic. Well, the, what's the first thing that Pharaoh did when he had this prophetic dream? No one else could interpret it and he was troubled. What did he do? He got around a prophetic person. Number one, get around prophetic people. Get around prophetic people. Read books about prophecy. 
listen to podcasts from people who, who, who are reputable prophets. If you need it, if you don't, you're like, man, I, I don't know any, call us. We'll help you. We'll point you in the right direction. If you're a visitor here, go to a church that believes, one, the Bible, two, in prophecy. You have to get around it. The Pharaoh brought someone around him that had more experience. He heard a rumor. Oh, this guy knows, this guy can interpret dreams. Well, then I need to be around that guy. There was a time in my life not too many years ago where I wanted more of this in my life. So I started changing my schedule and doing things, even hiring different people, bringing people in my world around me that I knew had more skill in this area than I did, had more understanding in this area than I did. Get around reputable, prophetic people. All of a sudden, you'll start to see the fruit on their life. You'll start to see how they do things. And all of a sudden, this is what I love the most. He'll start making prophecy not so far-fetched for you. You'll get to see it activated. You'll get to see it work in their life, and you'll go, okay, this ain't that bad. This ain't that weird, and it ain't that hard. I want you to think about this prophetic word that he's interpreting. Pharaoh has this dream in a farming, ranching, and agricultural time. Can I just ask you a question? Any farmer and rancher knows, if your cows are fat and happy, and your meadows are full of, 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 of grass, what does that usually mean? You've had a good year. You can just drive through a part of a country and look at the grass and look at the cows and go, oh man, must have had a lot of rain this year. So it wasn't that far-fetched when he saw seven fat cows and said, hey, there's going to be seven good somethings. And then the skinny ones. Oh, must not have had a very good year. You see some skinny cows, no grass. Oh, must not have had a very good year. It's not the same thing. He takes it from ranching to farming. Why? Because he's not trying to hide stuff from us. That's not the nature of, can I, well, actually, let me say it this way. Here's what the scripture says, that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. Do you understand that there's things that God wants to share in our, in his glory, share his glory with you when you choose to search out things? He just, you ever, you ever done an Easter egg hunt with some two-year-olds? You know how you hide the eggs? It's like, this right here, like, wonder where the egg is. I wonder if it's under that. And they're, oh, and they, they just think, oh my gosh, I found, and we're just, we just celebrate. That's how God hides things. He's not like, I'm hiding this thing and they will never find it. That's not, that's not why he hides things. His glory and our glory is in the same thing. A e little Easter egg hunt where he hides a truth. He hides a revelation to see the joy on our face when we discover it. That it wasn't as hard as we thought it was. Prophecy is not as hard as you think it is. And when you get around people that actually know what they're doing, that really want to help you, you'll realize, wait a minute. It's actually not that hard. Number one, get around prophetic people. Number two, just believe. This is a, there's going to there's gonna come a time in your life when you get a prophetic word or you hear a prophet and you won't believe and you'll just have to choose to believe. You're going to hear something go, man, that, that just almost sounds crazy. That just sounds so far-fetched. You're going to have to make the decision to just believe. Pharaoh had zero, and here's the beautiful thing. The Spirit of the Lord will come on anyone who takes a step of faith to help you in your unbelief. Disciples used to say that to Jesus. Apparently it was a thing you could ask for. Help us with our unbelief. 
when you start moving towards things like this, you're just going to have to say, you know what? In here, I don't believe. But I'm going to choose because of what I know the Word says. The Word says this is supposed to be a part of my life. The Word says this is something I'm supposed to go after. The Word says if I believe the prophet, so shall I prosper. This is a challenge for me. This is a stretch for me. I can't even believe that this prophet is all up in my business. But I'm just going to choose to believe. Pharaoh just had to choose to believe. And last but not least, he had to do something. Real faith isn't faith until you do something with what you've heard. Pharaoh heard the word of the Lord via the prophet. He heard the prophet say, oh, here's what's going to happen. Seven, bad, seven good years, seven bad years, and here's the strategy behind, heaven's strategy behind that. We're going to save one-fifth of everything in the seven years, and that's going to help us get there. That's going to help us be ready for those seven years. So Pharaoh heard the word, believed the word, and then what did he do? He goes, okay, let's do it. I love the last verse here. Because he says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. I think he said that out loud in front of everybody else because I think he was struggling. And he's like, all right, we're going to do what he said, him. And if it don't work, kill him. <laughs> but he did something. He said, okay. This feel, he even said, this guy's got the spirit of the Lord in him. Something in him knew this was God. Can I just tell you, something in you will know. And let me say another thing here. As you go after this, just understand this. The Bible talks about prophets, talks about false prophets, and everybody's all scared. Oh, I don't, I don't listen to a false prophet. Well, at some point you will. Because guess what? At some point we are, all are one. Because <laughs> at some point we all think we heard God about something, and we go, that, that God's telling me to do this. And as it turned out, maybe he wasn't. Oh, the Lord's telling me to marry that woman. No, that's something else talking to you right now, bro. <laughs> we're all going to have moments where we're going to go after this thing and go, ah, I missed it, or ah, he missed it. And this is where I'm so thankful that I am under a better covenant than those in the Old Testament. Because you got it wrong in the Old Testament. You made just one mistake in the Old Testament you got to pay the price. But I'm so thankful that under the New Testament, I can see the Word. I can hear the Word. I can do the Word thinking it is the Word, even if I get off a little bit, and I don't get the reward of me doing the Word. I get the reward of Jesus doing the Word because He took my mistakes for His perfection. So here's the beautiful thing. It's like a, it's like a no excuses opportunity to go after everything you see in Scripture. Because here's the thing, it's, uh, it's impossible to get arrogant about this stuff. And I've seen people do this. I've seen people with, with, get enamored with people's gifts. Oh, he got a word of knowledge. He got a word of this. He, he's prophesying. Da, da, da. I've, I've heard people brag about, you know, bragging to people. Say, hey, you probably want to get a word from me. I'm actually about seven out of eight the last couple of times. So you might want to get a word from me. It's like, bro, if you only knew, you know what you would have paid under the old covenant for that one time you got it wrong? You know what you would have paid for? And you know the only reason you got anything? It's because Jesus died on the cross and did his part. Then the Father sent the Holy Spirit in you. You didn't do hardly anything, bro. In fact, I'll be, I, in fact, I bet seven of those, all seven of those times, the Lord saw how stupid you were acting and went, you know what? I'm just going to clean this mess up for you just because I love you. There should be no arrogance in this. We should know where this comes from. What is it called? A gift of the Spirit. You can't brag about something someone gave you. 
You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But I'm so thankful that when I see things like this in Scripture, that I have that new covenant in my back pocket. That I, Because I want to get it right. Can I just say that? I want to get it right. But I know I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. I want to be a good husband, but sometimes I'm not. I want to be a good father, and sometimes I'm not. I want to be a good leader of the church, and sometimes. There's a lot of things I want to be good, but I'm so glad that when I miss the mark, I want to be prophetic. I want to get accurate prophetic words. I want to bring strength and courage into the church, just like the word says prophecies for. I want to do those things, but I'm so thankful that when I don't get it right, that I have the grace of God, that every single morning I said I can come boldly before his throne of grace and receive mercy. It, it is not an excuse not to try. It is a reason to try. It is a reason to go after things that don't make sense. It is the reason to go for this. The church needs strength. The church needs courage. And prophecy is one of the ways he says he's going to take care of his bride. He says, this is for my church. This is for my people. It tells us we should hunger for this. It tells us we should desire this. I'm asking you to join me on this journey to go after this like, ever, like never before. Amen. We hope you loved our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great rest of your day.